0: Well, hello, and welcome back to the Will and Rob show. We are back from a two-week hiatus. Uh, so Robert and I went off to General Assembly and then uh, did not record that, that following week, but we are back and excited to be with you. As always, uh, my name is Will Stockdale. I'm a ministry associate here with Ministry of State in Washington, D.C., here with my very good friend, R.D. Hassler, Robert Burt Hassler, ministry associate, comms director, um, all those good things. Uh and so we we are joined today with a very special guest, someone I'm very excited to talk to and get their thoughts on, um, Dr. Tommy Keene, who is professor of New Testament at RTS Washington, D.C. I first had the privilege of meeting Dr. Keene through an ordination preparation class, which was the final course I took at our, uh, for seminary. That was my... Uh, I'll call it a capstone course, although it wasn't, but for me, that's what it was. So it was a wonderful time and thankful for him and his teaching and getting me prepped for the ordination process I'm working on right now. But, um, some fun connection, uh, Dr. Keene actually grew up in the same church that I had the privilege of working at in Dallas at park City's Presbyterian church, um, which is, which is a really cool connection to make, uh, and to hear. And so thankful for the men and women who serve in that church and, uh, teach and equip the saints for life. Uh, but after high school, he went on to study at Furman university and then went to, went to uh, Westminster seminary, uh, you know, no offense taken there. And I'm sure that that RTS has welcomed you with open arms.
1: Yeah, very much so. <laughs> uh,
0: we got, Hey, we got, you know, all three institutions represented here, which is great. We got covenant RTS, all three, as if we are the, I, hopefully the DTS people will be, you know, won't be close uh, <laughs> and all those other small lesser than seminaries that are out. Um, and uh, and then I uh, went for his MDiv and PhD at Westminster Seminary and then ended up pastoring in Pennsylvania. But uh, Dr. Keene, thanks so much for being here and being on the show. I wanted to uh, kick it off to you for just um, some introduction and then uh, start our conversation on the a biblical New Testament understanding of the church and who she is mostly because I think that's on a lot of people's minds with yeah. the SBC um, and general assembly, which I, I thought was really encouraging in terms of the people there and what we got to experience. I, not so much the weeds of all that, but just kind of a, a, a helpful way we can consider uh, this process of the church and how we can trust her um, as, as we move forward and changes or or uh, improvements or wh- however people think of them happen. But we'd love to get some of your story of, pastoring in Pennsylvania, and, and then ending up teaching in RTSDC.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I pastored a church in Pennsylvania, uh, Christ the King in uh for a little over, uh, just around 10 years. Um, some of that uh, during my PhD, the PhD period. I mean, I went in to the PhD knowing that I wanted to be of service to the church, uh, there are a couple of things that you can do with a PhD. Um, teaching is obviously one of them, but I had always been my plan to use the doctoral studies for my local body and and then the kind of the broader church, presbytery, uh, and, and denomination as a whole, and to be a, to be a churchman. Um, I taught a little bit on the side at Westminster and also here in in Washington D.C. Uh, our the campus here at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, um, but my, the bulk of my ministry was through was through that church weekly preaching and and family ministry and things like that. Um, but the Lord called me here uh, to D.C. Uh, about ten years uh, through about ten years of ministry, and uh, and I've I've loved it. It's it's I'm kind of was eighty twenty, church uh, academy, and now I'm kind of split the other way, eighty percent academy, and then preaching here and there, uh, in, in the area. So uh, I've I've really enjoyed it. It's it's been an honor to kind of be a part of this community and to train up uh, men and women for ministry and to be uh, to to kind of uh, go deeper into that kind of that academic world and to. Uh, to stretch in that er- those areas. So this has been exciting and I've been I- enjoying it.
0: As as you go from having pastored and we're preaching in a local congregation to training men who are going to be doing that same thing, how has, yeah. and, and this is, you know, like you said, being a good churchman, how has having that experience and then becoming a professor in the academy, how has that helped you and um, able to teach and show them what's important and what they'll need to know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's invaluable, right? I mean, and one of the things that RTS does very well is that all of the professors are churchmen. They're all involved in the church and have had either currently doing ministerial work or have extensive pastoral experience. And they bring that to the, and we bring that to the classroom. And I think that's a, a great asset. And one of the things I love about our community here is that most of our students are that way too. Like most of our students, the DC area, uh, you know, is a is an intense area um, it's very hard to be in this area and just do school and so most of our students are also pastoring uh, or involved in their communities or working with the government or their lawyers or their doctors you know they, they're all involved in some way and they bring those kinds of direct practical pastoral questions to the classroom and their professors are usually equipped to engage that kind of conversation, not only from an intellectual level, but from personal, uh, personal experience. So, you know, when we talk about these New Testament texts and about uh, how the church functions, it's not just theory; it is lived out in uh, in our own lives and case studies that we that we have been involved in, and in issues that are on the ground. And so that's that's exciting because I get to hear from students, what they're struggling with, what they're dealing with, what their churches are going through, and also be able to kind of speak to that from, you know, my own experiences, limited though, though though that might be.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Th- that teases up, I think, to the kind of three big points that I wanted to ask you about, and that yeah. is how do we think about the church and who she is? How do we serve the church? And then how do we speak about the church? And the last one is in the midst of you know, successes and failures. Uh, how do we how do we talk about her publicly and even privately in our hearts and to the father? How do we go about that? So first is, as you are, are pastoring and professing professoring to professoring
1: is the correct, the correct word. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
0: <laughs> uh, as you're doing these things, how do you encourage people to think about, you um, the church. I I, I think a lot about RB Kuyper's, the title of his book, the glorious body of Christ, that uh, the church is that she doesn't always seem like that to us. um, But she is, as a matter of fact. Um, And so how do we think about the church on Sunday morning as what's happening, but beyond that, as, as the church is in the world and is, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I just wanted to, in, in terms of biblical texts and, um, teaching, how you would encourage us to think about that?
1: I mean, it's such an expansive topic. One of the things that kind of like immediately comes to mind, without trying to give like a full theology of the church, I guess, one of the things that immediately comes to mind, since you mentioned uh, General Assembly uh, and and the SBC and, and some of these other kind of broader denominational gatherings, is the unity of the church. And it when we think about unity of the church kind of on a practical pastoral level, I think our immediate horizon is, of course, the unity of your local body, and that's important, right? We want our local congregations to be unified, to be, you know, as Paul says in Philippians 2, to to be thinking Christ's thoughts after, after him, to have this mind in you that is in Christ Jesus. We want that level of local congregational unity, but one of the things that's striking in the New Testament is that Paul and Peter and James, they're, they're not just uh, uh, pursuing the unity of their individual congregations. They're pursuing the unity of the church Catholic, the universal church, you know, however you want to talk about it. The, the body of Christ um, dispersed, as it were, throughout the world, but nevertheless united as, as a kingdom. And I just think about you know so much of Paul's ministry is actually determined by and directed within that framework of pursuing the unity of the body. I and mean, mm. he talks about why he excels as his in his ministry uh, among the Gentiles. And one of the reasons he excels in his ministry among the Gentiles, one of the reasons he works so hard is so that the church, Jew and Gentile, might be unified. He says, to make my, my fellow brethren jealous, so that they too might come and participate in the gospel in Romans, Romans 9. Um, so a lot of what makes Paul tick is this presupposition, this basic fact that the church across the world should be one body, even as it is many bodies. Uh, you see that in Acts 15. Uh, you see that you know the first general assembly of Acts fifteen. You see that you see that uh, he, as Paul pursues uh, uh, unity in the church at Corinth, and as he kind of is a go-between between the Gentile church and the Jerusalem church, and see, in Acts twenty-one, he's he's motivated to uh, to pursue that. So you a lot of these kinds of texts in the New Testament that not directly talking about the nature of the church. But they only work under the assumption of this is many bodies that constitute one body, one people, one kingdom for, for God. So that to me is motivating when we think about general assembly and some of you know, the polity issues and the politicking and some of the things that we can get maybe cynical about. Nevertheless, what we are pursuing there, what we're desiring to do is to be one and to testify to Christ in our
0: oneness. Uh, That's that's wonderful and a needed reminder and encouragement against what feels like so much fracturing. So my question with that is, what maintains and sustains that unity? Then, what is the in scripts that you see? Like, what is the the maintaining, uh, yeah, source of of the unity of the church? I mean, Robert's rules of order, of course. These are wonderful plugs for the PCA. This is the Presbyterianism. This is fantastic. This is absolutely fantastic. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I mean, of course, the theologically, the root of this is that Christ is the head of the church. I mean, I love Ephesians. Um, uh, Let's see if I, I don't want to, I don't want to butcher the passage because it's such a beautiful passage, but Ephesians one is I think the, you know, provides kind of the principal basis of our unity and, um, God, the father, put all things under Jesus's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Now, there's a bit of a a surprise in that passage, because the first thing that God does is he takes all things. And he's Paul has already told us all powers, all principalities, you know, everything, everything that constitutes God's creation. Everything has been put under Christ's feet. That's the first thing that happens. And then Christ is given as head of all things to the church, which is really fascinating. The way he's, the way Paul is explaining that it's not that the church is one of the things to whom Christ has been given. That's true. The church is under Christ, but it's Christ as all things that has been given to the church as, as, as its principle, as it's, as it's unifying factor. So, um, all things are subsumed under Christ, who is who, and who belongs to and is head of the church. Uh, so that is the foundation of our unity. And because it's worded that way, because it's, it's established that way, God has done it that way, it means our, our unity um, is cosmic in scope. It transcends race, creed, and agenda. Uh, Politic, you know, it is cosmic in scope, and it is truly unifying, because it is found in, in Christ Jesus. So, so theologically, of course, uh, that principle is in place. And then the other thing that I, I think more, maybe more practically, kind of bringing it down from ontology to how we actually live our lives, we, we need to talk about Christian character. Uh, we need to talk about things like, um, you know, Second Peter, one, how do we, how are we going to be per- perfected in this world? How are we going to stand against the enemies that assail us? It is by cultivating these qualities, uh, verse eight. What qualities? Uh, um, faith, virtue, knowledge, self control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Th- those qualities are at the heart of what the Christian life is. They're at the heart of how we pursue ecclesiastical unity and so we need to be cultivating that as a people uh, as individuals and as congregations and as presbyteries and as generalism you know we need to be cultivating these are the the kinds of qualities and character that is going to result in a unified church
2: so uh, i i love i love all that and i think almost everyone regardless of of what background you come from you you this is what we all preach, you know, yeah. hopefully, and what, what we teach. And then we we sort of take a look around and we realize like a lot of us are part of different denominations. We've got Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptist. I mean, obviously, the Roman Catholic versus Protestant distinction as well. Um, um, I remember in, in the church that I grew up, the Presbyterian church that I grew up in. Whenever we would uh, welcome in a new member, we would sing the first verse of um, "They'll know we are Christians by our love," and and yeah. part of the part of that song is. Uh, We pray that one day our unity might be restored. How how do we think about um, unity in the context of the denominations and and things that are sort of always seems like they're always ever splintering?
1: Like interdenominational unity or? Yeah, Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's tough because at this point, kind of we're moving from, you know, I mean, Maybe it's obvious to say, like, the Bible doesn't talk about denominations, right? right. Um, and, and and so maybe denominations are unbiblical, and we can kind of draw some of those conclusions if we're kind of taking a very literalist approach to, uh, or or prescriptive approach to, like, Acts and, and some of the books of the New Testament. But I think it's better to think about, like, the idea of uh, maybe if, if we take away the language of denominations and substitute it with the language of partnerships, uh, how do we partner together? Well, the Bible actually talks a lot about that and about how James, um, who is um, uh, uh, regarded as a pillar of the church, but has a very different ministry context, very different maybe um a theological, not a different theology, but a different kind of theological approach than maybe Paul does. He, he, he's wrestling with different kinds of questions because he's not dealing with um, ministry among the Gentiles. And so James and Paul can look like they're diverging in various ways, that they're serving different constituencies, and yet they partner together, and they seed ground to one another in order to make sure that that partnership works in order to pursue that unity. And I think in in that, those sections of scripture, which are not, they're they're not all over the place, but they do, they are there in the seams where we see Paul talking about his partnerships, talking about how he pursued uh, unity with, with James and and Peter and and them uh, other divisions of the church. Those parts where we see what it might look like to translate that into partnering with other denominations um, or other, you know, groups in the, in the PCA or the, the denomination that you're a part of, you know, denominations tend to break down into smaller groups as well. And um, How do I disagree charitably and work together with uh, another individual for a common cause? Well, I, the New Testament does, I do think gives us some direction in that regard. And again, I'd point to uh, to character. Actually, you know, I'm rambling now, but uh, uh, the joke about the um, uh, book of uh, the uh, Robert's Rules, you know, we can get very cynical about Robert's Rules, but Robert's Rules is designed to help us be charitable to one another. It's designed to help us respect the the previous speaker. And the reason I refer to the previous speaker as the previous speaker is because I don't want to personalize it. I don't want to make it about me versus him or her. What I want to do is uh, treat the other person with honor and respect. And and that's, that's the goal is to move these partnerships forward in a way that's charitable and engaging and useful for the church.
0: Amen. I I think for all of the buildup to general assembly, I thought it was exceptionally tame Mm -hmm. and like, Uh, the moderator did such a fantastic job of keeping a tone of respect and dignity that the was deserving. So I, I, I appreciate and love you saying that. You mentioned, so we have, um, you know, character and part of that character is, is obedience and service to the church. And so as we're called to serve her um, both within, you know, whether that's setting up chairs or helping on the greeting team or missions trips or helping at a pregnancy center how do we consider that both uh, extending the presence of the kingdom and missionally thinking and maintaining unity at the same time how do the how do those serve to foster unity and extension
1: yeah in, in each of these areas whether it's preaching from the pulpit to, greeting people in the church, what we're trying to do is emulate Christ, right? He is the head and all things have been given to him as the head and he has been given to the church as our head. So we, so we are imitators of Christ in all of those kinds of things. And I guess I would encourage uh, whatever role you're serving in the church to, to engage in a time of meditation. Where did Jesus do this? Like, where do I see in the Gospels or in the servants of Christ and, and Acts uh, and the letters, where do I see the work that I'm doing reflected in the New Testament? Uh, g- greeters. You know, greeting can be, you know, we could treat that as if it's kind of like this this lower tier of ministry. I know we, we don't You can't teach Sunday school, but you can be a greeter. But I will tell you, <laughs> move, moving to Northern Virginia and trying to establish relationships with churches uh, i mean being a greeter is a huge task in fact it's so important that it's it, it makes the list of spiritual gifts hospitality is bringing people in and greeting them and showing hey i see you've got two kids the nursery is over here and like there are people that are gifted at that and that do that well and that bring you in and that make you feel at home even if, it, even if it's a new church in a building you've never been in. So think about, okay, where does, where does Jesus do that? Where does he bring people in? Where does he establish connections? How does he establish relationships? And then how do I translate that into the, into the modern world? What are some skill sets that are good at that kind of thing um, uh, that I need to cultivate and develop? So wherever you are in the spectrum of church ministry, consider yourself a servant of Christ who is reflecting something of the character of Christ in your present context. Um, That's going to require creativity, meditation, prayer, all of these things, uh, biblical reading, all of these things. Um, But it's a really helpful thing to to go through. Um, Administration is another example. I mean, I don't know a pastor. I've never met a pastor who said, you know what I'm really I really love administration and that's why I decided to be that's why I decided to be a pastor because I have the gift of administration but it's in the gifts list and one of the things that Jesus does with his disciples is he organizes them he 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 trains them and he organizes and he sends them out in groups and he tells them here's how you're going to do this and here's why and like he is a good administrator and that what that does is a good administrator enables other people to do their work with as little friction as possible which means that the gospel goes forth more quickly more efficiently and more winsomely to the watching world so so these gifts i don't think of them in a kind of limited pedantic way but as as genuinely spiritual gifts that come from christ in our ways that we emulate them
0: I love how you set that up and require that meditation and prayer and Mm -hmm. imagination. And so what happens, it sounds like the result is it works both ways. We are Mm -hmm. um, internally refined and our our minds are renewed in a Romans 12 one Mm -hmm. way. And we are offering our bodies as living sacrifices out to others as we use them. And so this, there's like a circular uh, cyclical, sanctifying yeah. process there
1: yeah we we grow in christ even as we were reflecting him in our in our context yeah that's, that's great yeah
2: but, and i'll put the uh an endorsement behind your your point about greeters i mean i i i know so many people who have stuck around at a church not because the you know the xyz programs were you know so good or right. Um, necessarily like they agreed with like every point of the doctrinal confessions, but it was just like, somebody like talked to me and my family. <laughs> and, like yeah. now I'm here. So it, it, it those, those little things, um, it, what we tend to think are little things end up having massive consequences as we think about serving the church.
1: And and there's pastoral implications about uh, with that too. If, if you're thinking about greeting, we're just using this as an example. If you're thinking about it as, handing somebody a bulletin before they go figure out where their seat is supposed to be, then anybody can do that. But if you think about greeting as this is a way in which our church is administering hospitality in the midst of the corporate supper um, of, of the lamb and his children, like if you, if you exalt greeting to that status, welcoming, welcoming you into the family of God as we participate together in the worship of our Savior. Then suddenly you have to think, well, actually, who would be good at that? You know, pastorally, you've got to, it, it throws you along a different uh, trajectory of, of planning and serving your church. Who, who do I know that is, has the gift of hospitality, who can spot a problem and solve it for somebody and bring them in, in a welcoming, winsome way versus how do I get a bulletin to somebody's hands?
0: Right. Yeah. It, it becomes a very... Um... It connects the the fibers and the sinews of of the church more deeply, and yeah. I, I would imagine people would feel more receptive uh, to being asked to serve in the church on Sunday morning when they're said, "Hey, I really think you'd be good at this. I see this." Yeah. It's good. yeah. And, um, so what what I wanted to move from here uh, to our last point, unless you really want to talk about politics. I uh, Don't.
1: No. That's okay.
0: <laughs> um. We, we, we ran out of time, folks. Sorry. Uh, we wanted to get to it. Get Dr. Keen's hot takes, but we're not going to be able to make it today. Yeah. Um, so what I want to do, though, is, is how do we speak about the church? And how do we speak about the church to prayer through prayer as we as we converse with the Trinity? Um, you know, uh, as we talk to the father about um, his son's bride? How do we talk to fellow believers about yeah the church. And then how do we speak to the watching world about the church? And uh, if the church were perfect, this would be super easy. Well, it'd be easy because we'd be in heaven. So, I mean, you know, there's that, but on, on earth, when we look at failures and um, historical embarrassments and um, you know, sins and scandals uh, there's a lot of focus on that. And there can be uh, like you you mentioned, cynicism that can come about A jadedness Mm -hmm. can also come about just seems tiresome. At this point, but um, like you said, the church is is cosmic in its scope. Uh, we are united to Christ. I mean, there's beautiful realities there. So, how do we how do we speak in those three areas um, about and about the church?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a really helpful question. I guess where I would head at the risk of telling at the risk of too often telling Presbyterians to use their imagination. Um, we 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 have been given actually multiple metaphors in Scripture to think about the nature of the church and how we are to live within the church and how we're to think about the church and the relationships within the church. We're not given, in other words, we're not given just one metaphor. We're given multiple metaphors. I think initially my head goes: the church is the bride of Christ. And when we talk about the Bride of Christ, when we think about how we are to treat the Bride of Christ, we think honor. We think, you know, we, we want her to be uh, beautiful and beautifying uh, in the world, the Watchers. And we want to speak well. We, w- we always want to speak well of the Bride of Christ. But and that's good. And that's one metaphor. And that helps me think about this, you know, how I should be speaking about the church. It's not the only metaphor i'm also uh, given the idea that the church is wheat and tares in the kingdom of god Um, i'm also told that the church is like a flock with sheep and sometimes wolves who will uh, who are usually in some sort of pastoral role and will feed upon the sheep and so i'm given uh, actually a number of different kind of metaphorical worlds to think about and no one of them is kind of the uh, master principle from which every relationship, every uh, action can be deduced. Sometimes I need to think about the, the, the church as the household of God with brothers and sis- my brothers and sisters. Uh, and that though, though this person has failed, though they've sinned, though they have fallen... They're still my sister in Christ, and I should treat them as such. I, with, you know, help as I would treat a sister who has fallen or who has, who has stumbled. Um, sometimes I need to think about the church as a flock of sheep surrounded by enemies at risk of falling off cliffs uh, for the, because of their own stupidity. And then I'm my model is to snatch the wayward sheep out from danger. So these these different metaphors in scripture are given to help us in different situations. And I'd be good for us to engage our imaginations uh, when we're facing particular problems or particular crises, a fallen pastor, a wandering sheep, to start thinking about okay, what what metaphor metaphorical world helps me think through this? What biblical set of images helps me appropriate what's going on here Um, and use our imaginations and pray through those kinds of things and meditate upon them as I, as I kind of think about, okay, what's, what should my response be?
0: That's a, that's a tall order. You're asking me to have my mind and heart shaped by scripture.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) but you know what it is, it is a tall order, but it's, I guess one of the things that's beautiful about the way scripture comes at us is that it does use pictures, like thinking about how families work is not hard for me. It requires me to imagine, but, but thinking about this person as my sister in Christ, and as she may be my wife, she may be my child, she, but uh, she, she may be a stranger that I've just met. Um, she may be, you know, all sorts of different things. But at fundamentally, she is my sister, even if I've never met her. Suddenly, I can think through my relationship with this person in terms that I already understand. That's what metaphors do. They allow me to approach the unknown through what I already know. And it's properly basic. I know what a family is. I know how families are supposed to work and how they often do work. And, and so talking about my pastor, my pastor is, is, is not the boss of the church, but the shepherd of the church. I know what shepherds, I've never shepherded sheep, but I know what shepherds do. And I know that that's hard and I know what dangers they might face. Like I can put myself into that imaginative world and figure out what I'm supposed to, understand here. And so I I do like the fact that the scripture, it gives us a lot of metaphors, but they're simple. And that helps me think through sometimes very abstract kinds of questions in pastoral ministry and in my relationship as a a brother in Christ.
0: Well, that's, I, I really appreciate that a lot. And I, it's helpful for me to think about the importance of using scriptures imagery to to talk about the church, whether I'm speaking to praying or, or talking to a fellow believer or talking to a non-Christian about um, who the church is, how the church works, uh, like you said, from wheat and tares to the flock. So I really appreciate you helping me out with that.
2: that, That's so important just because, you know, it, to lean, to lean on biblical images and and the metaphors that scripture itself speaks of the church. And because I, I sometimes hear, I haven't heard of anything like this, like sort of close to my um, my own denominational background. But you, you know, you'll see things in the in the media or you'll see things in the news where people will talk about the church, sort of like in the like it's a business. It's like, well, it's not a business. Like we don't really get that image very often in, in scripture about what the church is. We got to be careful about the way we speak about her because um, the world who is uh, you know looking at the church and, and trying to figure out what what is this thing? What how do we deal with it? Um, it's important that we speak of it in the way that we've been told to because. Uh, we don't want to give confusion to people or uh, to, to sort of license people to do things with the church that it's not supposed to do. So yeah. I, that just, that, that just sort of struck with me.
0: Well, I uh, really appreciate you being on. Thank you for talking. But before you go, I did want to ask what, what have you been uh, thinking about recently? Has there been any particular topic or, um, you know, New Testament interest, professor uh, personal, that is kind of uh, captivating your imagination and, your thought life.
1: Yeah. Well, I've been working on the summer uh, over the summer, kind of putting my dissertation back into, into, into a, like an article form condensing it. Um, and so I have been back into Hebrews eight uh, a lot uh, over the, over the summer. Um, so that's where I did a lot of my academic work back in the day. Um, and there's, so I've been getting kind of, kind of caught up um uh, on 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 tabernacle language in hebrews um so like how would that affect this conversation in fact i, I guess one of the things that uh, it's a reminder of is i guess we could we have another metaphor there uh in hebrews eight that the church is a, a people wandering in the wilderness um the you know one way another way to think about the church is as a people called out of egypt uh, Hebrews 3 and four called out of Egypt um, on a pilgrimage to promised land and in the midst of that pilgrimage, you know it, with the, the risk of falling away it is nevertheless ministered to by a heavenly high priest who helps us along the way, who sympathizes with our weaknesses and who um, who draws us near to him as we draw near to the, the heavenly tabernacle. Um, so I guess that's a, that's an important encouragement too is to remember, that in this journey, as we wrestle with the church being church, that we have a heavenly high priest uh, who serves us in our time of need.
0: Have you enjoyed the research? It sounds good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's research, right? So it's, it's getting caught up to date and it's a lot of footnotes and um, yeah, I've got the, I've got the fun part done. (laughs) The fun part is, is writing, you know, the idea, putting the idea on paper and then, and then there's the um, making sure all the footnotes are right and that your research is up to date and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm in the not fun part right now. Uh, I can go a, an hour and a half for a footnote is, is not always the most encouraging thing, but it's good. I hope that it's good and productive
0: work. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let us know whenever it uh, comes out in the article form. Yeah. Uh, love to take a look and so uh, thank you so much for coming on with us today and helping us talk about the church and think about her and and what it means to serve her and that importance and so thank you all so much for listening Uh, as always you can follow robert on twitter at rd hassler you can follow me at and you can follow dr keen at tommy keen so t-o-m-m-y-k-e-e-n-e so thank you all so much for listening and we'll talk to y'all next week